What's going on, folks? Eight black hands in the building. Well, six black hands, maybe eight later. Cumulative eight. However, we go about it. Anyways, um, checking in with folks. Uh, we missed last week, but we back this week. Reef, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good. Listen, I was with uh, you were missed, man. We I, I was with squad, you know, Harrison Peters and the rest of the, you know, rest of the folks from McKell. Uh, men of color in education leadership. Um, you know, they had their uh, six annual uh, conference down in Tampa and it was, uh, you know, it, it was just really good, man. And these particularly are folks who are in superintendencies or on the way there or in some type of educational leadership. And it, it was just, it was, it was, uh, it was fantastic. And I was, I was really happy for them. Tell me a but, little bit more know, about that, man, because we just came off the conference of the year, BMEC 2022. And then you know you had this 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 conference right here, M M Cell is called M Cell. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. M Cell. And so, what was what was so significant about M Cell? Like, what what was, what was the learning? I mean, a, a big part of it was like really around leadership, right? Like, so, you know, a lot of times we when we're talking about education, we're talking about like teachers, like like teachers, 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 and for, and for good reason. But you know, we also know that the impact of principals. Um, you know, is tremendous because not only are they supporting the, the impactful teachers, but the the overall culture and community, they're poised to lead leadership teams or develop leadership teams and, and really establish what are the expectations, what's the culture, what's the, uh, you know, the culture of learning and, and um, you know, in a, in a building, but then also like who's, who's their supervisor, who coaches them, who prepares and supports them all the way up through the superintendency. And, and, you know, while we talk about teachers being 80% white, you know, those numbers are very similar for the principalship, for superintendents. I think that's 90% white. Uh, school boards, that's probably around 85, 90% white, right? So it's, it's the entire ecosystem, man. So it is, uh, it's not just the teacher aspect, because even if you had very diverse teachers, but everything else in the ecosystem stays the same, I could imagine that it would still be extremely problematic in a lot of different ways. Um, so just, you know, like what is, what is culture proficiency in, in educational leadership from school board, superintendency, principals, um, et cetera. So it was really good. And that's what they were bringing. You're, you're uh, superintendent, Chancellor uh, Banks in New York. He was, you know, he was there. It was really I'm good. My um, I'm, I'm my superintendent. Hey, listen, though, <laughs> you look good. You look good, bro. And, and your skin is glowing and, and you look like you lost I'm, two pounds. I, I have not. And my skin is always glowing, but thank you. Appreciate right. that. <laughs> oh, what's happening, baby? What's up, man? Uh, I need a jacket. I'll just tell you that. You need this man. jacket? I need a jacket like that, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the Photoshop's will be coming. Um, don't, don't get Ray in trouble, man. Don't do it, bro. Ray, you got to keep it. You got to keep informing these cats about the frat, man. Um <laughs> It's all good. Um, uh, it's been a busy week, man. Uh, it wasn't really much of a break. Um, the hospital that I was on the board of, you know, children's Benny off. Uh, I, I rode off after like, man, I think five plus six years, man. Uh, so doing the rounds there, bittersweet, man. But, you know, you, leadership, man, you got to get out the way. I think um, just this week, just I just been meeting with a lot of young folks, man. It's been a lot happening in this Chicago area. Um mm -hmm. It's been some heavy stuff happening for people, man, and like you know, and and getting all those reports of people getting shot and a whole bunch of things happening, man. But you know, I moved here for a reason, man. I moved back here to this community, to this neighborhood for a reason to hopefully build an ass something, man. So, um, but I'm happy to be here uh, to have had these conversations that we have and uh, 
and yeah, man, I'm really, really excited for this guest. I, I, I think she's a uh, she's brilliant, and um, I'm really interested to hear more about her insights into just some of the topics she's going to be going through. So it's a blessing. And yeah, shout out to you. our brother Chris, who is with his son tonight, is is the football thing. So you know, it, that's we want to send our love and let folks know where he was at. That's what's up. Hey, Reef, intro, man. Yo, bro. <clears throat> um. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about Dr. Kamika Royal being on, man. You know, uh, one, I think, you know, while this book focuses on Philadelphia, uh, this is, it tells a lot about national. Um, there's a lot of national implications. A lot of things that were happening nationally impacted Philadelphia. Uh, we're all connected in in um in so many different ways. Uh, but Dr. Kamika Royal, she's been an educator for a quarter of a century. You know, began her career as a middle. She's from Philadelphia. Let me just start with that. She's from Philly. All right. So we got double dosage of Philly flavor up in this joint. And she lived? Stop it, bro. Stop it. Double dose of Philly uh, flavor up in this joint tonight. And I'm I'm really excited about that. And, you know, she she started her career in in, in Baltimore, was instructional leader in Washington, D.C. And now she's working in higher ed, Loyola University of Maryland. Um, she's helped launch the School of Education's Urban Education Minor, um, and she's also led the Center for Innovation and in Urban Education. Um, under her leadership, uh, the CIUE, which is the Center for Innovation and in Urban Education, has been working diligently um, about developing anti-racist, anti-oppressive education in partnership with urban schools and community organizations. Um, she does internally facing work to continue to challenge color evasive racist ideology um, that really permeates pre-service and basically for those who are not in you know uh, education this is like where educator prep programs where people are being trained we often say on the show it's not just who's leading in the classrooms but who prepared them and we want people like dr royal preparing uh the future teachers um been a big fan of her for for quite some time and I uh, had the opportunity to work with her, uh, you know, earlier this year with Dr. Wadlington, new uh, superintendent here in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, Dr. Royal uh, co-led with uh, with a colleague, Dr. Jubilee, the anti-racist subcommittee as part of the transition team. So I had the, the pleasure and honor and duty to be a part of that. And, um, you know, appreciate uh, her being on this evening. Uh, welcome, Dr. Royal. Good Thank to see you. you. Thank you for having me. Good to be seen. Hey, so let me ask you. Let me ask you this: Was that did that have to be that long? Yeah, I wanted to get some some other because I I think it's important because sometimes you have like academics yeah. on and people don't realize like you know some some haven't some only taught during their student teaching right yeah. you know but there are others who are actually diving into the work and really have a understanding of what the next how do we interrupt some of the things that have been happening um, in teacher prep educator prep for a long time. So I just wanted to like add that additional uh, context. And I had to go a little hard about, you know, her being from Philly, like, you know what I mean? So like, so what? Let him know. Deal with it, bro. Love that. Dr. Ross, one of the things that, that Reef said that, that kind of connect us, right? Is that you taught in Baltimore. You started teaching in Baltimore. I started right. teaching in Baltimore as well. When were you in Baltimore? I was in Baltimore in 2003. Wow, okay. I was working yeah. to Teach for America then. Um, well, we, we're, not gonna talk, we're not talking about that. <laughs> I'm just saying, you said 2003, that's all I was. It's 2003. 
Hey, so and then I, I taught I taught in DC for a while too. I tell everybody, anybody that'll listen, if you could teach in Baltimore, DC, you could teach anywhere. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you probably right now. See, now I want to know where in Baltimore you were. Lake Clifton. For real. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. 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 Two thousand three. I wonder. I don't know if Dawn Gunderson was still there then. She was teaching English, but she may have left. No, she left. Two thousand three. Okay. He he didn't have a lot of collegiality and camaraderie with the with the yeah, staff. Yeah, so yeah. she was there. She was there, but she probably my, didn't give him no shot. My principal Lisa Tarter, she loved me. She still she still emailed me. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. I mean, Lake Clifton was was definitely giving the business mm. circa two thousand three. So. Mm. Yeah. So so man, let's dive in. So community com- community played an essential role in your upbringings, right? So what what were some of your takeaways from your community elders? Oh, wow. I mean, takeaways. It's it's hard to even name, you know. um, I grew up uh, in Southwest Philly in Penrose, but my my parents, my mother was from um, Mount Airy, which is at the other end of the city. And um, because of that, we grew up going to Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church, which is a huge church in Philly now. It was not when I was growing up. Um, But I just had this really dope community of elders who um, just from Sunday school and and sort of uh, helping me to articulate and like speak, do public speaking and things like that. Um, Also just a lot of um, like community correction you know, people being able to call you on your stuff and check you um, when your parents weren't around. But but the same people who would um, sit with you and read college essays and give feedback and give rides and cook food. I was volunteering at the church when I was in high school. And so I would get, um, you know, one of the he's passed away now because, of course, they were so much older. But one of the trustees would um, take me uh, with him home and his wife would would have cooked and so I would get like full Sunday meals you know um during the week after school yes, and yes, it was yes. I, I can't at this point you know I'm I'm 44 I cannot imagine um it was just a beautiful way to grow up which I didn't really understand then mm-hmm. but looking back on it now I am just very very grateful hey, we jump in here, man. I know you long in the tooth uh <laughs> what, what, what did the community do for you? Yo, man. No, I, I was just reflecting as, as Dr. Roy was going through that. Like, I, I think I appreciate it more and more every year, you know, and every year I'm like, oh, let me, I need to make sure that I'm sharing some of the experience you were before coming in in high school and, you know, fresh out of college. Like it was just, I just took it for granted. Like I just, you know, one, just made an assumption that that was the reality for many people, even if it looked differently. Um, and just really being able to appreciate, like, you know, as I get old, like, listen, we still go, and I've shared this before, we still go to um, Mama Fasaha and Bobby Mjenzi house for Kwanzaa. And I think this might be like the 50, you know, third, 54, I gotta, I gotta add it up. Like, you know, like that longevity in the community to be able to support not only us as students, but their grand students, you know, um, and just being that presence and, and, you know, even the fact that having the same numbers and same crib and same, you know, just places where you can trust to draw from and, and be able to, uh, you know, even now we ride by, I'm like, whose house is that? And the kid's like, that's Mama Fazal. Probably like, because I want them to know, like, yo, these are these are our folks, you know? So 
that community piece, man, uh, it was just incredibly important. Um, and I think that's part of, and I think people, I think the, the oppressor recognizes that. And I think that's some of the pressures that our communities feel is because like there's deliberate undermining of the fabric and safety nets that, that allowed us to still, you know, push through yeah. when they were forcing, you know, um, just oppression um, into, into our, our spaces. Um, and they, I think they recognize that. I know they recognize that. I think it's interesting that you talk about riding past the same places. I was 10 years ago, my parents sold their house mm -hmm. um, in Philly and I was devastated. Like it was like losing a family. It was like yeah, losing a family. Yeah, yeah. And um, they moved to Delaware um, to a nice little suburban community. They had wanted to get out of Philly. Philly gets a bad rap, but we never experienced any bit of crime living in that house in Southwest Philly. And we mm -hmm. ca I cannot say the same thing for them um, in Delaware. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. 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 Hold up. Southwest, Wait. baby. <laughs> um. So listen, Cole. You were talking about this earlier, right? And you were talking about just like your adjacency to the to the community and whatnot, man. I want you to build on that because I know you moved back for a reason. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's a few reasons, right? And I, you know, and and I think this will kind of dovetail into probably the reason why Dr. Royal wrote such a just I just think a really well researched and dope book. I mean, for me, man, growing up in the Chicago, being born in the Chicago area, living in Paducah, Kentucky, and then living in Oakland and being homeless in all them places and 11 elementary schools. And now I'm this doctor or whatever status that people perceive me to have. My family think I'm rich. I'm like, I absolutely am not. They have no idea what I do. But I think that, you know, partially, you know, over time, you know, I think I, I did not see myself reflected. Like I didn't see me reflected in all my, like who I am. That's why my chains are here, my watch, my teeth. I ain't no thug. I ain't never been one. But when people see that and make a connection when I'm not playing ball and I'm not rapping or doing something else and they like, wait, what's that mean to be a scholar? And so every time I've seen Dr. Roy, and I don't know if she even recognizes or knows this, we've met over the years a few different times. We both worked at TFA. I've always commented like a glasses, a hair, a style, because partially a lot of our young people think that academic success or build or doing certain things is square or white or whatever the case is. So you know, being back in a place where it's not a lot of looks like me and the per capita is less than $30,000 a year and like crime is crazy and everybody around me got guns. There's guns in this house. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a different type of environment. And I still struggle with being in those academic and professional spaces and then being over here and being with my young people. Uh, I just thought it was important for me to buy and put my money where my mouth was and come back to, to that, to the hood and come back to the place where people still in it. Cause I'm still in it in the thick of it. And so, you know, not to take no uh, steam away from you, Ray, but I, I was going to ask, okay. you know, I, I wanted to go in and ask Dr. Royal, like what was the impetus behind, you know, writing that piece? I, I'm, I'm aware that it was probably tied to some of your research that you were doing as a doctoral student. Uh, but I think like me, I think we're similar in that there was a lot more soul uh, and I'm not dumping on nobody else's dissertation, but you know there's dissertation. Sound like you are, but it's all right. No, good. Yeah, do do well, your thing. Well, you know, it's it's very different. <laughs> you just so said there's a soulless, but it's go ahead. Very, it's, it's very different to write a dissertation around. But what does this fourth grade curriculum do for blah blah blah? Versus here's the soul of my city, and you need to understand and this whatever that kind of happens. And so I don't want to take no steam and try to. Uh, explain it for you, but I feel spiritually uh, there's a deeper connection and person, personal piece for you. And I just wanted to give you the, the floor to kind of talk about that. I appreciate that. So I would say the book is, is it came a long way from the dissertation. 
Um, what you know that if you if good evening, sis, I see you. Um, <laughs> if you've gone through a, a doctoral program, um, you know they don't really allow it for a lot of. Um, <sighs> they don't really. There's a very formulaic way of mm-hmm. doing things, you know. Um, so in some ways, I'm glad I survived that process because <laughs> you better say it. There were definitely parts of that process mm-hmm. um, that could have that that could have taken me out in a few different ways. Um, but the book, the research itself, the idea came from a class I was in um, with uh, my origins of urban education professor, my first year as a doctoral student at Temple, and he he wanted us to do original uh, research um, on some aspect of school history in Philly. And I'm, I, he had taken us to the urban archives at Temple to look at some of the records, looking at the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin, all these different things. We were talking about the voluntary transfer program that the school district of Philadelphia had in 1964. And I'm reading about this stuff that I had never heard of. I think at the time I was 29 years old. And I was like, um, yo, I'm, I'm home. Like, I got to know some people from my church, uh, the church I grew up in. Um, who experienced this. And so I just started calling them um, like, Hey, you heard of this, you heard of this uh, voluntary transfer program. And um, they were like, yeah. And I said, well, I'm doing this project. And they were like, okay, well come on over and I'll talk to you about it. And so that's how it started um, back in 2008. And so the dissertation was, was born out of that, which I defended in 2011 and graduated in 2012. So, you know, it took quite a while to have it become a book. And what I what I did was I the book was actually turned down quite a few times by a lot of different academic presses. Um, There was one that was interested, but said that the whole book had to be written in order to get a contract. Mm. And so for me, it became a faith walk. Right. Like, I'm just going to keep working on this book and somebody is going to want to publish it. I felt like there was a really important story that needed to be told about black educators in Philly, about the politics of the shifting politics of reform. Um, and and sort of those two entities up against each other, uh, black educators on the one hand, and and uh, local politics and, and and state politics and federal politics on top of that. Um, and I just kept sort of pressing, like you know, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm gonna keep doing this research because I think this is important, and I think this story needs to be told. Um, and I think people who are in other places will be able to resonate with it as well, even if they're not native Philadelphians. Um, and so I just kept going, like, just felt like there was something bigger than me that I was responding to in trying to get this done. Yeah. Can you also just talk about the, uh, the title too? Cause I think that's so telling about just the struggle sometimes for us to, you know what I mean? Like Angelo. Yeah. You know? So the title is interesting. Um, the title comes from uh, Maya Angelou poem called On Working White Liberals that I discovered when I was a senior in high school. Um, Philly used to have a citywide African-American History Month oratorical contest. And um, almost uh, 28 years ago, I guess, um, I participated in the contest and I won for my high school and then I won for the entire city. And back then, WDAS- Say that, that's a big deal. Like she won for the city, yo. Well, like here's that's... the thing, here's why it was an even bigger deal because WDAS was black owned then and it's when mm-hmm. they used to do the trips to Africa. Yep. 
And so as the first prize winner, I got to go to Senegal and Morocco Mm -hmm. as a result of winning this. Like my, I I didn't, I didn't come from this. I came from, my parents are wonderful people. Um, Mother's a minister, father's a deacon. Like they, they were not really thinking about Africa or anything Afrocentric. I had a cousin, um, actually the first one in my family to go to college and the first Delta in my family is the one who was like, yeah, you know, we're going to be on this Afrocentric stuff. Right. But that's not what my family was on. But when I got the trip to Africa, my mother was like, oh, we're going to Africa. Like, so the poem I discovered then. But when I was working on this research and I'm sitting at 440 North Broad Street reading the minutes for the Board of Education, that poem started coming back to me because I'm like, this very democratic city, you know, I'm just I'm at times reading these minutes. I felt like I was doing an autopsy for like how the district died. Right. And so that poem then just became top of mind for me. Again, uh, this rocky road is not paved for us. uh, So I believe in the liberals aid for us when I see a white man load a black man's gun. Now, the other thing about the title is that my publisher, they didn't like the title. (laughs) They didn't like the title. They were like, well, (laughs) we don't want that. But I had a little thing with the um, the marketing people anyway, because they I think I told you they tried to put a map of New Jersey on the front of my book. Mm. And. and I was disrespectful. like, disrespectful. New Jersey, like, what are you? And they were like, "Well, I mean, it said map of Philadelphia." I was like, "I understand that, but I'm a Philadelphian. I know what Philadelphia looks like. This is New Jersey. See that river? Like, that's these bridges. That's Jersey. I can't put. I'm gonna be laughed out of rooms. Like, I can't put this. And then they were like, they didn't like not paid for us because they were like, we don't think people are going to know, you know, what it's about. And I was like, my people will know what it's mm-hmm. about. Whoever yeah. is for is going to know. So, hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. Hey, so so real quick transition, Ravens or Eagles? Eagles all day, eleven and really? one. What's what? the matter with you, bro? Like that's that's a no brainer, like fam. And we know why you got that green shirt on it underneath <laughs> you. You're trying to hide it, but we know why. Like front if you want, but we Don't see it. No, you know who you, you know who your quarterback is. Your, your quarterback gonna be a chapter, bro. <laughs> <laughs> See, we got dopeness and we got dopiness. You know what I mean? Like this is this is whatever. Hey, when you come back to it, you'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, so so not the world. Um uh man, this is ah, this is it's overwhelming for me. Hey, what what would you suggest parents do in terms of like um just showing up in Philly right now, given the current dynamics of, of what's happening in Philly? Uh and you spoke earlier about just like the village and how the village played a part in like, you know, the making of you and, and Reef, you talk about this as well. I don't think that the, the village allows for folks to pour into them the way that it used to occur. And so what, what, what advice do you have for parents? So I'm always a little cautious in my advice for parents, first of all, because I'm not a parent. Um, but uh-huh. I, I am very much an auntie, right? Like I, I, because I believe in community, I'm still very much an auntie. I am a community person. Like I'm on call right now for, for one of my Saras to pick up her son tomorrow from the bus stop because she won't be home on time or whatever. Um, you know, I think it depends on the context of where they are. I think parents have to know the processes um, of what's happening. I mean, I, there's so many things about what's happening in Philly schools that, you know, concern me, especially in light of having worked on the um, the superintendent's transition team, right? And so one of the things that was coming up for me was who even has 
access to um, opportunity, right? Like to what extent do parents know what curriculum is being offered at their school? That like, let's think about from the elementary perspective, right? Because then in Philly, there are certain middle schools you won't even qualify for if you haven't been exposed to particular courses in elementary, which I thought was crazy when I heard it. But then I was like, I mean, it's home and home be crazy. So this is what they do, right? But I, like, I feel like parents need to know that. Um, there's also, you know, I don't, I, I haven't, last night, one of my girlfriends from high school, um, who's our Sarah, who's also uh, Muslim, um, her son, that plays, that's, that's your end right there. <laughs> her son plays for UNC football. And so I was watching him last night. He's a starter. I'm number 72 for UNC. And I can't help but remember when he was going to Rowan elementary school. And um, he was, I think he was a first grader and they contacted her about his reading level. And so she called me to translate for her what the information meant. Um, and then we went up to the school and the principal wouldn't let us see him in the classroom. Pol apparently the policy was families could not go to the classroom. Now, 2018, I tried to go take cupcakes to my twin nephews in the suburbs in Delaware County. My line sister said it had been approved. I get there. They won't let me in. We can't let families into the building. You know, da 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 Like, that's the type of stuff I think parents should be aware of and organizing. Because I'm sitting there like, so you mean to tell me no parents can come? How do you have your child somewhere in this building? You don't know where they're sitting. You don't know, is it water dropping on them? You don't, like, you don't, there's so many things you don't know about what's happening. How do you, how do, how are people giving you their children and they can't even see what's happening? And I did have a, you know, principal was like, well, we don't know if parents are coming up here to cause problems. And I was like, that's fair. You, you can't, you can't, I don't know. There's not a mechanism for you to figure that out though. Like you're <laughs> causing hostage. a problem by saying you can't, people can't see their kids, you know? Well, kids are hostage. So, yeah. I got absolutely. a, I, I got a question. I got a, I got a, I don't want to lead you nowhere, but I got to ask what kind of schools were these? What you mean? What kind of schools were they? Like, were they traditional public schools? Were they charter schools? What's, what's going on here? They were both public. Rowan is, um, you know, a, a regular neighborhood public school in Philly. Mm -hmm. um, my nephews were going to an elementary, a very well-funded, very nice uh, school in Springfield, Pennsylvania, um, in Delaware County. Very and, and the thing about that school that pissed me off is that I had been in there already. For their birthday, because I am a very involved auntie. I had done a whole surprise, took pictures. They teacher took pictures of me in the classroom. And now two years later, this principal was like, we never allow people in this building. I'm like, but I got his pictures from when I was in the building two years ago. He's like, well, that's against policy. Then your people are violating policy, sir. But I've been in Started. You're showing evidence of trespassing as far as they were concerned. They're like, that's evidence you were trespassing. But I mean, but that also shows like the lack of just community right like because is you know I, I think so often these schools man they they're like in these places people parachute in you know um don't even live there aren't building relationships and they really feel like oh it's school and then the community when the communities have school you don't have you know what i mean the communities that you that's because school belongs to them right. but if you don't think like that and you just automatically like for real, that means you don't know your parents because I, I can guarantee you when you when you with your family, when you're leading in a certain way and with a servant leadership, an Ella Baker type of framework and orientation, you know, when when, um you know, 
when somebody is upset and angry, right? Like they, like that, you know that, but you're engaging them and they, and they like with cupcakes, nobody's baking cupcakes to come in and do something crazy. Or like, I mean, come on. You know what though, but you Baltimore, when I tell you I was yeah. hot, what is this green? But like, you know what though, and I, I, th I think y'all are right for being hot. And I think y'all are right. I think you are right for everything that you said, Dr. Royal. And I think what you're saying, what I want to tease out, Reef is that, but you have to build that relationship with community because if somebody, I want to be fair. You gotta be right? interested in doing that, though. You got to be interested in it, but I want to be fair. Somebody who worked in the district office in Oakland, right? And Jamoke is on here. She was a board member. Like we've had family members come up to schools before to jump a person or to like have a seriously. So not, not saying that doesn't do. happen. What do they no, do? No, no. Right, right. But what I'm what I'm saying is that's what I'm saying. I, that's why I'm saying y'all are both right. There has to be that relationship there. There has to be those things there because when that happened, right. That all the community was the opposite, right? Like, wait a second, how did these people just get to walk up in here? Like, Jamoke got a lot of mail that week, right? You know what I'm saying? And so I think that in a perfect situation, that's how it should be. Because I think there's there's schools in Oakland, there's private schools in Oakland where people can just where they can walk in and kind of be part of that community. But I think what you're saying, Sharif, is that work has to happen from that school entity, because like you said you know, the community has schools, parents has schools, you know what I mean? So it should be theirs. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, listen, I was just like uh, Dr. Roy, a quarter of a century in three different neighborhood schools, all in West and Southwest Philadelphia. I've never had, uh, the scariest time I had was my first day as a principal at Shaw Middle School, 54 the Warrant. First day dismissal, bruh. I said, I, I can see some mom coming up this, uh, we were on like an incline. And I see her walking up this, stomping up this jaw. And I'm like, I'm like dismissing kids. Hey, how you doing? And I see mom coming. And I was like, I, I met her halfway. I'm like, mom, what's the, now they ain't going to keep bullying my child. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm up here to handle. And I was like, mom, please, it's my first day. Please don't do that. <laughs> right? Please, like, 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 here's my number. Call, let's talk. Let me dismiss. Right? Man, she was, became like the staunchest advocate for, you know, for Shaw Middle School. Because she was like, all right, we're building trust. I'm being heard. And you're respecting that my kid is, is a child, is a human being. Right? Like, and all of that. And it's, you know, building that trust. Right? Like, and so that's what it means. Yes, things happen. Things, and, and safety is always number one right we're talking about like a scenario that dr royal described like that there's a mindset that we have to address when people are coming in communities and they really look at you as hostile when it's your child right they literally will take your kid hostage and now oh, I, I agree hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna shut up right here uh, dr royal but i was just gonna say i feel you i just had to sit in those meetings with legal before like i'm just saying like legal has sat us down and been like look <laughs> I need all our area soups to make sure it is the policy, but go ahead, Dr. Royal. But I agree with y'all wholeheartedly. I, there has to be, there has to be a way for somebody to be able to figure out, assess. And what I, I'm listening to Sharif, right? The parents started out with, there's a problem, right? And I'm coming up here to address the mm -hmm. problem, right? So that makes sense. I'm coming with cupcakes, like... <laughs> <laughs> The boys are 10 today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if that and it had been improved. And you had did it before, right? Ain't you seen prison breakout movies? That's where you put the foul in, you know what I'm saying? So they can get out. You know, you hide it but in see, the cupcakes. That's part of my point, right? Because now <laughs> what happens is we're treating everybody like right, they're right. criminals. So what I ended up telling my line sister is do not invite me to another thing at the school. Because one, I don't want to create problems for you and your husband. Mm -hmm. But I'm about to jump out on the principal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to be a whole problem. 
with me and him. I'm not coming in. I'm so glad all them kids are out there. Like none of them are at their school anymore. Cause I was like, mm -mm, I will never set foot in this school ever again, or I'm going to be arrested. It's going to be a problem. Like, but you can't treat everybody like everybody is a criminal. You understand? Or everybody is coming to do harm. You know, um, that was, that was a, <laughs> well, listen, for this topic, I would say in the future, you all will have an expert to look at because uh, uh, future Dr. Raymond Ancrum's re uh, dissertation research is on parent engagement. So uh, for, you, for you places and schools and districts that are struggling with trying to figure this out and where to start and how to go beyond the bake sale, uh, you will soon be able to look at his work. And I hope he continues to cultivate that and, and lead hey. y'all around how to properly do that. One it ain't more thing. It's from it's from the soul too. Hey, it's one of them dissertations from the soul. <laughs> we'll 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 pass judgment. I want you finished. Hey. We'll, we'll let you we'll let you know if it's Brief, uh, and that's soul. exactly why you're not a participant. In my <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead, Ray. So, I, I had a question for you, Ray. Because uh, I think because the three of us have had a chance to see our book. I just wanted her to. I had somebody text me saying, I love this interview. I just want to know a little bit more about, more about what the, the book. book is yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was going there too. I was, I was, I was yeah, going there. My bad, bro. I just, I got yeah, the bro. message, so. <laughs> <laughs> they, were hey. like, they were like, I love her. Hey. I'm going to Uncle Bobby's right now. What's the book about? You get a dope guest on, man. It's, it's hard. It throws you off course because it's like, yo, you don't, you know. All right, but anyways, uh, 60 years of school reform. What are some practices, if any, that you love and think, uh, and think can push education forward? One of the things I loved um, was the relationship between um, Constance Clayton and Ruth Hare. Um, so Constance Clayton was the first black woman superintendent of schools in Philadelphia. Ruth Hare had been the first black senior high school principal in Philly. Um, and then she was the first black woman on the board of education. Um, and they really worked together to do some very progressive stuff for the district. So um, they passed some policies around giving, um, around sex, sexual health. So when I was in high school, uh, we had something called the drop-in center at, at Central High School where you could go and get condoms and get information on um, safe sex. Um, that was a, that was a big deal in the nineties. And there were a lot of people who felt like, you know, no, um, we shouldn't do this. But also, you know, AIDS and STIs was a thing. And so those two women really worked together to say, you know, I, I get that we want our children to be safe and to be careful and, and to not engage at all. But we also have to deal with the reality that they many of them are. Um, and so I, I loved how they were thinking um, in terms of that. Um, also, Constance Clayton had this thing around um, protecting girls who were pregnant in high school so they didn't have to get put out of school. Um, I think that was, you know, that was pretty dope. Um, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see a whole lot from the way I was analyzing. I was like, oh, we should do that. Right. Like I, I will say that one of my narrators, for instance, when there was a strike, um, what they did at her school was everybody, you don't get paid if you, if you're on strike. Right. And so before they voted to go on strike, the teachers checked in with each other to make sure everybody had another source of income so that everybody would be good. So nobody would be too stressed out, you know, going on strike. And so what they did was be like, okay, well, my uncle has a, a shoe store. Like I can get you in working at the shoe store while we on strike. So you can still have 
money coming in, you know, that camaraderie, how they work together, I think was really important. Yeah, and Jamoke asked you to uh, repeat the names. And if you can give like a little teaser about Ruth Hare as well, like her, yeah. her lineage. Um. So, oh, wow, her lineage. Okay. <laughs> Pressure. All right. Ruth Hare has, has like real famous parents and grandparents and all types of stuff. And I don't want to but butcher their names. Um, but I can tell you um, that she graduated high school at like 15 years old and she was a Latin major. Um, at the University of Pennsylvania, Latin and English. And when she wanted to teach, do her student teaching in the school district of Philadelphia, she needed to be in high school. But at the time they weren't placing black educators in senior um, high schools. And so she had to go teach in Chester, Pennsylvania, which is just south of Philadelphia, um, which used to be a, a very bustling black um, area. Um, but her full name is Ruth Wright Hare. And she was the first principal of um, William Penn High School in Philadelphia. I think she was appointed there in 1944. Um, and it was an all-girls school at the time. Um, she, has a, uh, she wrote a memoir before she passed away called Tell Them We Are Rising. Um, Ed Bradley, who used to be on CBS News, who's from Philadelphia, wrote the foreword um, to her book. Um, and she passed away shortly after it came out. But she was just from a very, a very well-to-do black family in Philly. They like, I think the grandfather or the father owned a bank or something. And somebody was a civil war general or something. I mean, her people were, they were doing some really my folks was pulling tobacco down in North Carolina and and farming rice. But <laughs> hers were, they were doing the daggone thing. So um that's Ruth Wright Hare. And the other name was Constance Clayton. Constance Clayton is, as far as I know, still very much alive and giving people the business in Philadelphia. Um, she is a native Philadelphian who I remember she went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar Junior High School and she went to um, Girls High and then she went to Temple and got her teaching degree and she taught in Philly um, and she became an uh, early childhood supervisor for the school district of Philadelphia. And she was really known for moving up the ranks in Philadelphia. And um, she, I, I knew her name as a child because she was, I mean, it was a big deal for that. This black woman had, she was the first black woman superintendent. And so our, our favorite refrain when it would snow, be like, y'all think we're going to have school tomorrow? You know, Constance Clayton's going to make us go to school tomorrow. Connie Clayton sending you to school, like, no matter what. Kids will learn. Uh -huh. And I got to interview her and I asked her about that. I was like, I, so I told her and she was like, that's right, because I would drive around and you all would be outside playing in the snow. And I said, if you can play, you can get to school. And I was like, man, she ain't wrong. She ain't, she ain't wrong. In high school, bro, she was like, I was like, oh my gosh, the superintendent. But when I became an educator, I was like, yo, we need her back. You know what I mean? Like, yo, she's she's the prototype, like a uh, superintendent. And the one piece I would just add, I put a, a link in the, in the chat for the audience, you know, so uh, uh, Hare, her grandfather, um, you know, opened the first black school in Georgia, you know? So it's like this, you know, um, you know, just incredibly, you know, uh, just, again, back to community that we started the conversation, um, 
you know, with and and uh, Richard Wright being her, you know, a relative and 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 all of that. But yeah, Connie, I was in high school too when Connie Clayton was soup, and it was uh, you know, she was she was about the business, and and I think you know uh, the way the schools operated, you know, um, schools had programs within schools, so kids were in their communities for the most. So had the magnets, but you also you weren't going to just be in this terrible situation if you didn't go to you know one of the magnet schools you know what i mean like and and that is a piece that that also i i, I just fondly remember i don't know if i ever told you my sister went to overbrook yeah 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 i mean that's just i wanted to go i wanted to go to the scholars program mm -hmm. at overbrook, but my parents were like absolutely not that was the program i was in yeah yeah absolutely not <laughs> Look at you! Always looking for some ammunition on you against Brooke, man. What's the matter with you, man? I mean, I you know my sister was in the music program, um, and the music program was amazing. Yeah, but I, for whatever reason, I don't know. You know, I was shout I was out to George sister. Allen. I I don't know what was happening with with my parents and the principal or what, but um, my, they were like, no, like you can't go to Overbrook, and I was like, it's the scholars program, and they were like, no, nope, we don't care. You can't go. There's all these other schools in Philadelphia for you to choose from. You know, pick one. I, I think yeah. they did. They, they did right by you. <laughs> Not letting you go to that dangerous school. <laughs> I don't think it was so, dangerous, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't. It was not at no, all. No, it wasn't what um, it is now. Hey, talk about it. Hey, so, so, all right. Before I gotta, I gotta make a small pivot because I got you went. To, you was TFA. I gotta know about your experience. And I gotta know how you feel about it now. I feel next to nothing about it now. Okay, fair enough. Um, my experience, you know, I was 21 when I joined Teach for America. I really didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I was recruited by Billy Kearney. Um, I had gone to a NAFIO job fair. And um, it- What's NAFIO? Oh goodness, I don't even remember. It was something about um, black black people. <laughs> okay, it was like a black yes. job fair. Got it. Got yes, it. and um, Billy Kearney was an A and T alum, black guy, who told me about Teach for America. And I was a junior when he gave me the information, but I thought it sounded dope, right? And I had planned to go to school for um, policy. Like I was kind of all over the place. I was an English literature major, then I was an education concentration, political science, and I was like, I want to do ed policy, and then I was like, I'm sick of school. So I need to go get a job. And um, I applied for Teach for America because I was like, I don't want to go. Um, I need a break from school. Right. And so not until I get to Houston on my way to Houston for training, because back then there was only one training institute in 99 because I'm that old. Teach for America was also much smaller back then. So there were only like 11 regions around the country. There was no region in Philadelphia. I would have gone to Philly if I could have. I chose Baltimore because it wasn't far. But I, my parents were able to, my whole family walked me to the gate at the airport in Philly. Um, so pre-2001 when, you know, everything got shut down. But I think we had to change planes in Chicago. When I got on the plane to Chicago, it was, the whole plane was going to Teach for America's Institute in Houston. And I was like, this is interesting. Okay. So I get to the University of Houston, to Moody Towers, where we all have to check in. And I see like droves and droves of white people. And I'm so confused because I'm coming from my HBCU in North Carolina. It's a brother from another HBCU that recruited me. So I'm like, what? <laughs> Where are we teaching black and brown kids? Where's all these white people coming from? Like, I'm confused. And then even the way people were talking, 
I wasn't accustomed to up speak. I hadn't heard up speak in college. I hadn't heard it since high school. So I wasn't question. It's a statement, but a question. That's the thing. I was standing there like, (laughs) what? I was wondering if you're using. I was like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Like, I don't, I don't understand. So it was really like culture shock being at Teach for America Institute. Um, I came to Baltimore. I taught seventh grade at Robert Poole Middle School, um, school number 56. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was, you know, trying to figure it out. I did know that, you know, I had, my mom was great. My mom was a disciplinarian. And so I was like, it's a whole lot of things I don't know. But what I know is I'm 21 and not 12. And so I'm the boss. <laughs> we're we're going to start with that. Like, I may not know a whole lot, but I know I passed the seventh grade. I got this good degree. We're going to figure this out. But like, ain't nobody running this but me. This this is my room. Um, <laughs> you know, Teach for America, I was I definitely had some concerns about how they were operating. And so at that point, I, I got very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the summer after my first year of teaching, I was uh, the induction coordinator in Baltimore. So for the people who were coming in, I was the person leading that. For the subsequent, like 2001, 2002, 2004, I worked at Teach for America Summer Institute, went back again, 2006, 2007, um, 2012, 2013. Oh, wow. Um, mm -hmm. Like, that's when I was, uh, 2012, 2013, that's the lean years. That's when I finished my doctorate and I had no job. So it was was like, I need need this check. I'm going to go ahead over there because they got checks. So, um, but yeah, so we've had a rocky relationship because, you know, you know, I mean, I I don't, how how are you in education and you don't, I I don't know. I I imagine, you know, what it's like to work with well-meaning white folks, allegedly well-meaning who somehow center themselves in everything. And, um, you know, it got to be rocky. You know, I, I left my it was a conflict you know like i one of my crazy experiences working for teach for america was in 2003 me and one of my friends who was a program director for teach for america meaning you coach teachers she was in atlanta i was in baltimore we flew out to la to do a site visit and um we got feedback when we got back that we were like negative or something and um people were talking about did we like our jobs and but but we didn't get the feedback directly, right? Like so, the people we were with told their executive director, who called our executive directors. Now Billy Kearney, who recruited me, was the executive director at this point in Atlanta, right? Brother, who never took this foolishness to my girlfriend, who came from Atlanta, because he was like, if they don't care enough to talk to these black women, then it's not a thing. But my executive director was like, well, let me sit. I, I need to sit you down and have a conversation with you, right? So it's that type of thing where like you gonna treat me like I'm an ogre in the hills. Right. And so then I tried to have a conversation with the women and nobody wanted to talk. So I sent an email and I copied <laughs> all the people, all the people. I, I, yes. All the people. I'm like, since everybody wanted to know, did I like my job? I like it less now. <laughs> I got so much rap about whether or not I like my job. Um, so, it, you know, it was it was whatever I. I you know, I mean, best wishes to teach for America. I really, I you know. I asked that question because I want to learn more about you. You are, extre- you know, it's like how you uh, how you show up is amazing. You are super dope. And beyond the book, I just, I want to learn from you. Like, you make me want to learn from you. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for coming yeah. on. And we'd we'll love to, because I know we're, we're going to be 
running out of time. We're like, hey, the, you know, love it. Like, just can you walk people through through like some of the big themes of the book um, as well? Um, you know, I, I know a lot of folks are going to be picking it up, but also like, like, what are the big headliners and what are the things that people, uh, particularly when you talk about like, can people from it doesn't have to be you don't have to be a Philadelphian to get some deep insight and probably see a mirror to your city wherever you are. Yep. So the title of my book is Not Paved for Us, Black Educators and Public School Reform in Philadelphia. Um, the way I organized the book, uh, I organized the book by superintendents loosely. So the first chapter, for instance, the book starts in 1967. So at the end of the civil rights movement, when um, this young white reformer was brought in to lead Philly schools, um, they should have chosen uh, uh, Marcus Foster, who was um, black, who was a local super um, principal, rather, um, who ended up going out to the bay. Um, My district, OUSD, and um, being murdered, he was mm -hmm. indeed. Um, but that the first chapter is Mark looks at Mark Shedd's leadership and some of the tensions there. Now, one of the things that I do touch on in that chapter is um, this fight over like community control um, versus integration, right? And it's something that comes up in multiple um, cities around the country. Like, so if, you, if you're familiar with New York, there was a situation with Ocean Hill Brownsville. Um, one of the things I'm interested in now is, is being able to chronicle how that sort of same tension showed up in multiple cities around the country, um, excuse me, over time. That the next chapter of the book looks at uh, the Frank Rizzo era. Uh, Frank Rizzo, if you're not familiar with him, was a police chief in Philly who became um, mayor. Uh, and because the school board is not elected, it's appointed. The mayor is responsible for those appointments. Um, and Rizzo was a very controlling figure, very racist figure. Um, and so the next chapter takes up the two superintendents uh, he appointed and the school board members he appointed to do his bidding, essentially. Um, but one of the great ironies of the Rizzo tenure is that he had the most black people on the school board. So you had these, you know, these liberals before him that, you know, acting like they're such friends of ours, um, but always, again, centering themselves and needing to be in control and needing to keep the number of black people in leadership positions um, down. From there, we moved to the Constance Clayton era. So we're, we're into the 80s at this point. And one of the things I appreciate that I do in the book is look at sort of the, the movements, right? And so like in the 80s, you think about, we had the Cosby show on in the 80s. We had Oprah doing her thing in the 80s. You just saw this um, black excellence in a different sort of way uh, on TV, like on, media sources. It was it was um, everywhere. And so this is when you get Constance Clayton in Philadelphia. And so that chapter really looks at what what did she have to deal with um, as the first black woman superintendent of the district. Right. And in a district that had been historically racist um, is the presence the mere presence of a black person enough to stop racism. Right. Of course, it's not. Um, but back then, uh, some of us, I think, thought it would. Um, she left abruptly. And so the next chapter moves into David Hornbeck, who is a Marylander, who I got to sit down with um, a couple months ago after, after my book came out. He sent me an email and was like, yo, can we, can we sit down and have a conversation? 
Um, and so that's, uh, he was there from 94 until 2000. Um, it's also at the end of his tenure when the district was taken over by the state. So here's another thing that we see happening in a lot of districts around the country um, where the, the state would come in and take over or the mayor would take over the school, something like that. And so I really begin to chronicle what that takeover was like in Philadelphia. Um, after that, you have the Paul Vallis era. Some people may recognize his name because he's been a lot of places. Um, came from Chicago to Philadelphia and then left Philadelphia and went to New Orleans and then I understand went to Haiti and Bridgeport, Connecticut and, and some other places. Um, that era uh, is something that I actually think about a lot now because it made me think about racial capitalism, the ways that black and brown people are constructed, were constructed as failures and how these um, corporations from outside of the community were becoming rich based on the alleged failure. And they're very, they were being paid millions and millions of dollars despite literally hating us and, and plotting on our death, which is not hyperbole. Um, that's something that came from William Bennett who started one of the companies the school district was doing business with. Um, but yeah, so racial capitalism, this idea that black and brown people are such failures um, that you have to pay for these very expensive interventions. Uh, and so these corporations are getting rich off of the alleged failure of black and brown people. Um, and then we move into the last chapter of my book, which looks at um, a turn back to two black superintendents, Arlene Ackerman and, um, and Bill Hyde. Nice. Nice. Uh, can I ask a question? Um, so appreciate that. Uh, and my question for you is there might be somebody out there that's like, I'm not from Philly. I'm not an educator. I don't have, you know, I don't, I'm not a teacher. I don't work in schools. I'm not studying for that. You know, why, why should I pick up this book? Like where, you know, give me that connection. What would you say to those folks at, at, at my auntie's church? Well, if, if so first of all, I, <laughs> I'm not a, a really good marketer, right? So I'm gonna say, if, if you're really not, if it's, that, <laughs> if it's is that much that is not interesting to you, go do something else. Like go, go watch the TV, go enjoy your life. But if you are just curious about um, the role of politics, right? All schooling is political. Um, and so I would suggest picking up this book because it, it helps think about how schooling is political um, and maybe, if folks are interested in how uh, community members respond to and create and act on the politics of a community, this book can be good for that. I think what people get out of it really depends on the, the perspective they bring to it. Mm -hmm. Can I, so yes, marketers, no, stop it. You should be interested in it. Let me tell you why somebody who's read the first half of it. I think it's a, I think it's a community anthropology um, e e extraordinary. I think it's stories of what we have endured, what we have been through and how we have always persevered and how we have always been in the fight for our kids to have the best type of education. We have shown up. It hasn't, we have a history of that. And I think your book outlines that. And I think it outlines how power um, had kind of comes in and usurps and whether it has good intentions or not, uh, it, it oftentimes has not led to heaven. It's led to somewhere else. Uh, I think if you are not in education and you are just a person in the community or you care about these communities like Philadelphia, there's so much you're going to learn. I think that your book uh, in the, where a lot of academic or education books are classical, I think your book is jazz and it has a rhythm and it has a soul to it. And you better start studying the hell out that book. 
Um, so I'll stop yeah. there. Hey, all right, Look, hey, and that, hey, compliments don't flow from this guy, right? No, they it's really flow, good, they and they don't flow from me either. And it's so, really good. I mean, it reminded me, it's 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 spiritually connected to education of blacks in the south. That by means Dr. James D. Anderson, another book that if you it's not just about education, education tends to be the soul and the and the the compass of where our society is going. And who has control over that is really important. And so I think your book fits in that pantheon. And I think that I'm gonna need for you to talk about it like it does, uh, Dr. Royal. In I mean, love. I'm, not, I'm not good at you know being like, yeah, because you need my book. Well, clip that part and oh, write it down. Oh, I got yeah. you. <laughs> you know, and hopefully yeah. I wasn't apropos. I hope I didn't overstep. I just think it is, I think it's important for people outside of just that academic, you know, work and, and sphere. It was important to me to write something and deliver something that would be legible to multiple communities. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I needed it to be published on an academic press for the sake of tenure and for my university. Right. But I wanted it to be something that spoke to multiple, um, multiple ways of thinking, multiple ways of knowing, ways of being. Like I just wanted, I wanted people to be able to read it and to connect to it, regardless. Mm -hmm. We're quite familiar with your university and tenure. Uh, our guy was there. Uh, Dr. Robert Simmons, uh, he sends his, uh, his well wishes. Um, so what, what is the community's responsibility in taking back our communities? I mean, I think that's a, a really interesting question. And, and I think it's, I think it's complicated, right? Um, when I, uh, I think it's multi-layered. When I think about taking back the community, I mean, one of the things I just had a conversation with Mark Hill about yesterday was what the hell is happening in Wawa in Philly? Like, I'm reading the news and I'm like, it's kids walling out in the Wawa's. And I'm like, I don't want to be that auntie, you know, like, what are these kids doing? But I'm like, y'all jump, they jumping on the counters and twerking and throwing stuff around the store. Like, what is happening? Right. Like, so I think about. I think about that in terms of taking back our wait, wait, really quick. I don't, I don't want because this is important, but I, I need to know if any of these Wawa's are near mastery. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> you, you like there I I don't even know what to say. You like random ray, messy ray, all just ray ray, like you just like all all of them, all of them. <laughs> but go ahead, Dr. Royal. <laughs> uh you know, I, so I wonder, right? I wonder about that. I wonder, there are ways that I don't always feel safe at home anymore, which which is a struggle for me because I never felt unsafe at home. Um, and so I wonder, I, you know, I just, I feel like, honestly, I feel like a lot of this has to do with nine years ago when, when nine and 11 years ago when 30 schools were closed and it was kind of a lot happening in the city and I don't think enough people were paying attention to what was happening with our children in those schools that were being closed um, and in receiving schools because the young people who are doing this sort of stuff now, they, you know, they were small then. Um, and I don't think there was enough invested in them then. And so I do wonder how we engage them differently now, especially when I hear about ghost guns and kids making guns from 3d computers. I'm like, well, this is STEM genius. Now, how do we use that energy for good instead of evil? You know, um, those are some of the things that I that I wonder about. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and you think about like, you know, school closures and, you know, we were talking about this at, at McKell that in Philadelphia and other places, like, you know, there were, you know, some of these schools were closed in subsequent years. So imagine being a student, your school closing, they send you to school B, you're in school A, they send you to school B and you're there for a year and then that school closes. And then you go to school C, which also ends up closing, right? Like, and just imagine, like, I mean, just to, just wrapping my head around, like, you know, and like how important community and consistency and, mm -hmm. and just, and respect is, and having families having to navigate something like that with children um, is just, you know, and, and as you said, like not, not enough thought about like, hey, what, what's this child experience? But, and just as importantly, what's our city's future? Right, because anything you do to children, that means that's what you're ascribing to, prescribing to your city's future, and that disconnect. And uh, you know, and and back to your book, Dr. Roy. This is why I like. I love history because I think you can't really fully understand and appreciate where we are at anything, no matter what it is, if we don't understand history and all the connections. If we don't connect the dots, and I think your your book does a, a stellar job of that. I used to tell my students, no matter what discipline you study. If it's, if it's science, if it's math, if it's literature, if it's uh, city planning, study the history of it and how it supported humanity or undermined humanity. Because every discipline has a story on both sides of that. But if you're in that space and you don't know, oh, I don't know how, you know, how banking has impacted, you know, humanity. I, I've never been interested. Then how are you going to do right? How are you going to be just? How are you going to, you know, understand why things are the way they are right now. So Dr. Roy, we got, we're going to uh, send you up with one, one last question and then put you on the main screen. You can give your closing thoughts as well, wrapped in this question. Okay. So how are we moving forward to pave our way? How are we moving forward to pave our way? I mean, I think there are a lot of ways. There's no prescriptive way for that to happen. I think the first way um, to do that is to be engaged and informed um, and to set yourself up in a way such that you have influence. Even if that influence is, let me do this so that I don't have to hear anymore from this person. Um, I think that we, you know, I told somebody, I think um, I did another podcast where I was saying, you know, I believe in public schools, we pay taxes, we, Black people built this country. There's not a, a piece of this country that doesn't belong to us, but I think we are foolish if we leave the education of our children only to what happens in public school. And so I think part of the other thing that I, I, I always, I'm a little nervous when I say this, but it's true, is this is my 24th year as an educator. The more I study schools, it's, the more I hate them the more I see them um, as not working to, um, to our best end. And so part of us paving our own way is organizing ourselves in communities outside of school spaces so that um, knowledge can be um, passed on in the community, um, knowledge that our children need in order, not just academic knowledge, but also how to interact with each other, how to mend and repair relationships, how to solve problems, how to um, even think about asking harder questions and important questions that will just help us live better and be more free and figure out how to develop um, connection and community and to keep that going with each other. 
I think those are things we have to do in whatever community spaces we occupy outside of school. Man, thank you for that. Thank you for coming to bless us on this podcast. My toothache just went away for a whole hour, but I got to I got to deal with Reef for 10 more minutes. So it's coming back. Thank you for having me. I, you know, I told you, I don't, I told you, I don't really do stuff this time of night. I'm like, this is my wind down. <laughs> my wind down time. I stayed up for y'all. Appreciate you. But well, did you feel comfortable? Did you feel welcomed? Did you feel like part of the crew? That's 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 what I, we want to hear. I don't feel like part of the crew, but I, I absolutely feel welcome. <laughs> you, felt, you felt that love. You felt well, like love a lot of inside blood. jokes going on here that I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I always. Now you, always, it's them you know. too. It's always them too. It's them too. It's, oh, it's just them. Yes. Oh, you don't see them on like social media every day. They do it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming and kicking with us. Uh, I look forward to uh, trying to do some kind of work with you in the future. Uh, peace and blessings. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, Doctor. Thanks so much. Thank you. Right. So, fellas, what we doing? Yeah, that was dope, man. I, I I really appreciate, you know, um, and really encourage folks to, you know, uh, not only get the book, but but share it. And any spaces, you know, um, folks who love biographies, right, like, you know, or history and anything like that, like it's tied into it. And as she mentioned, it's not just education, but it's about the social constructs around that surround um, education um, and then the po the politics and policies. You know, um, you know, if any of those things are interest uh, you and then, of course, black kids is about black children and the experiences that they have. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just I, I always appreciate hearing. I think when I first heard her speak was, you know, maybe a little over a decade ago when I was a, a principal down at, at Shaw Middle School. Um, and I was just like, yo, this is. Yeah. I, I was just, I was just like, yes, oh, this is on point. You know, I just, you know, just appreciated like, you know, uh, what she brought to the table and then to part of, you know, constantly being this, she was doing this research for a while. Right. And then, and being able to publish it, you know, we were just, a lot of people in the community were just like, when's the book coming out? When's the book coming out? She's like, I'm working on, I'm working on it. So, you know, grateful that she did it, you know? Mm -hmm. Now I think she was dope, man. I think that it would have been criminal to, uh, you know, that's why I was pushing her because it's not a book that should just be, you know, in that education space. I think it tells a really important history about Philadelphia, about black people, about the intersection of Philadelphia and black people and power. And that story has played out in a bunch of different places across the country. I did a report on Cleveland earlier this year that has a very similar uh, history as far as black determination as education is concerned. And so you know, uh, and I, I hope that uh, I think she's a great saleswoman. I, I, I wanted to just encourage her. So hopefully I didn't step out of line with that. But I thought it, it deserved it. No, nah, definitely. Uh, I think I think we all try to do her as much justice as we could. Dope book. Dope. Uh, just a dope person. Yo. This, I, I, I vibe with her. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So if if well, if people got 10 more minutes, um, I guess I have something to say. So let's, uh, so we have, uh, well, there's an important announcement. Um, so I will be transitioning off the show, but I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about it. Uh, Cause it's not a sad thing, it's happening in love. And these are my brothers and I love them. I wish Chris was here. No, no, I wanna keep, you can keep everybody on. Cause I wanna look at y'all. Cause I, I like y'all. I wanna, I wanna make sure we, we had this. 
Um, I wish Chris was here because, uh, you know, he's out with his family tonight on something that was really important. And first, I just want to talk about each of you all. And then I want to talk a little bit more about that decision. I wanted to say for Chris, I'm so grateful. I mean, all these people are still my friends. Like, I'm not leaving the planet. Uh, but Chris, for finding this ragtag group of black men in this space and putting us together um, and being a big brother that I never knew that I needed or, you know what I'm saying, that I never had before. Um, I love that dude. And I think he's doing some incredible work. And Sharif, you know, like you are just a superstar. You're a rock star. You are you are Switzerland. You are like the place where people is like, yo, like you have the respect of a barbershop in the middle of the most deadly hood. Like it's off limits. It is that place. And that's not by accident. Uh, your family has embraced me and loved me and, 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 and gravitated towards me. And your wife gets on me all the time, actually. Uh, so give her my best. Um, and I wanted to say that. And Ray, I wanted to save you for last. I wanted to say you for last because, you know, there's a different type of age gap and cultural gap between Sharif and Chris and myself. Uh, but you and I have very similar backgrounds that kind of shaped who we are. And, you know, and in in a, in a, as a person who often feels misunderstood, I feel like we've always had this kind of through line and this understanding. Um, like you, you understand me on the sense of when I say I'm fighting for people on this team that I don't mean just like theoretically, like I will step in front of and fight for anybody on this team. And it is, it is, it has gotten to that place before uh, in the honor of these folks that I'll call brothers. And I just want to start by saying from the, when I started school, I have never started a school and finished at that school in my life until college. I went to 11 elementary schools. I lived in a bunch of different shelters. I was homeless a long time in my life. And once I started to get, you know, to college and this stuff and this opportunity, my goals have always been to go to those places and be what I needed because it is so much easier to raise dope kids than to reform broken men and adults. I was raised in a certain place. I ain't never been a thug. I ain't never been none of that stuff but I was definitely raised in a place around survival. And eight black hands is not the only thing that I'm stepping back from. I stepped back from the hospital, UCSF Benioff, where I helped oversee $4 billion and helped lead a lot of work around you know, sickle cell and trying to really eradicate that for black people. And hopefully I made an impact there. A bunch of the education affinity groups, I've, I've left all of those. Um, and I've just really been focusing on growing energy converters. And what started on a napkin uh, and Jamoke knowing me from being a pup, you know, now Energy Converters has worked and lifted the voices of community and students in Oakland, Stockton, Indy, Milwaukee, D.C., Chicago, Houston, Memphis, Sacramento, Delaware, SF, Tulsa, L.A. I did that all with less than $500,000, $400,000 budgets, uh, and I want to expand that. But I've been taking a lot of steps back. I, you know, even at BMEC, I wanted, you know, my, my young boy to be up front and to be leading that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I... My biggest goal, and I have not done this in Kentucky yet, and that's the failure, but I have to do it with my grandmother is buried, but to build something that I needed. Uh, and these education spaces, I just have not felt comfortable in for a long time. We've talked about it. And honestly, Dr. Royal has explained a lot of like that sentiment. Uh, but I'm not, ain't no, ain't no beef. It ain't no issues. And we built something incredible together. And I want to see it continue for 200 more episodes. Um it has nothing to do with y'all, man. And it had, and I want people out there to know that. Um, I love y'all, man. I, I truly, truly do. And even when we clash heads and butt heads, it's at the edification of this crowd out there. 
Uh, there's a lot of growth that's happening. There's a lot of <laughs> I don't always grow, but there's a lot of growth that I owe directly. I've never I'm six years older than my than my my brother and eight years older than my sister. I for the most part I've done things alone and I operate well in that place. Um, but I want to go and I want to create some stuff, man. I want to create some stuff for like I said my the the, the type of place where my my auntie goes to church and where my mama was. I want to create stuff, you know, in these education spaces. There's a lot of people that grew up like me. And I just don't feel like they'd be welcome in a lot of those spaces. And I want to create those things. Uh, I'm still going to be doing a South Star classroom. But even in that space, I'm pushing Omar and David to be more the lead. So I can kind of keep doing the work that I want to do with me and on me. But like, I want to be something positive for my community. I want to put more positivity into it than negativity. And I've done a lot of both. Uh, I'm not perfect. And I'm not trying to be nobody's mentor up here, man. I'm not trying to be nobody's role model. <laughs> but I want to keep writing. I want to keep doing this research. And I want to build some stuff that my grandmothers would have been proud of. But I wanted to say that to each and every one of y'all, to our A Black Hands family. I love y'all. Y'all have gotten damn near 200. For 200 episodes, we have given them hell. And we have not taken uh, any prisoners. And we have helped spawn a lot of other vegetables like this. Uh, and, and, and I hope that it continues, man. I will always be here for any of you all if you ever need me. Um, but, you know, I like to get low. I like to do things on my own. I like to kind of go into my own little thing and and reemerge with something done. Uh, I wrote a bunch of books this year. I wrote a bunch of stuff that I gave out to my people. And I ain't always going to get it right. And I'm going to fumble through it. But I'm going to do the best that I can or I'm going to die trying. So with that, uh, I love y'all. I love our people. I love what we built. And if any of y'all need me in any way, uh, let me know. And I still will fight for any of the three of y'all and your families. Uh, and that's extended to whomever. And y'all all got my number. And, you know, I ain't leaving the planet, man. So with that, I will humbly uh, pass my space off. And whoever fills this space, if anybody does, has my full blessing and support. And uh, and, and, and I love you, boys. Yeah, man. We love you back. Yeah, love you too, man. It's, uh, you know, you're talking about you're not leaving the planet. You're not really leaving the space, right? You know what I mean? Like, even if you're not, um, you know, on the, on, the, on the weekly show, you know, mm -hmm. the... Uh, the, the work that you're doing, energy converters with youth, with families, with systems, um, mm -hmm. all that's continuing and all that is is like absolutely critical. Um, you know, naming all those cities uh, where you've been helping. In all those cities. Yeah, you know, helping youth and communities, not only, you know, and it's that saying like, you know, no one gives anyone a voice, but they make sure that their voice is protected and amplified and platforms mm -hmm. are built to support uh, you know, people using their own voice. And that's how I, I view, you know, your work. Um, and particularly, you know, going to miss you on the show because of how intently and intensely, you know, you bring it back to, you know, uh, folks who are, you know, as you said, that you need it, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the same kind of, you know, uh, orientation we share with our students who are considering like, for example, like becoming educators in, in the future. And they're like, I had such a negative experience. And, and one of the things that seems to resonate with them is when we talk about if they had a negative experience considering becoming the teachers they wish they had and knew they needed. And when mm -hmm. I think about that, I think about you and you, you know, becoming that person that you wish you had and knew you needed. And now making sure that, that uh, folks have that, um, you know, I'm still, you know, yeah, I mean, you're gonna hear from me. I'm gonna still, I'm gonna troll you every day now. That, that, I, you know, what I mean, so, um, and I, I don't know anything about, um, what is it, Moldback 
books, but I was going to Google it just to get a free coffee out of you, you know? Oh, <laughs> hey man. Yeah, man. Uh, no, no, it was, uh, I was going to make, I'm trying to make some personalized journals for parents and community people that has a lot of stuff I put in that parent book, but that they can just carry around and, and have it. And I'm paying for that. Not from the nonprofit funds. Yeah, what'd you call me, it? So. What was it? What'd you no, call no, it? Moleskin-esque. Moleskin. Like this Moleskin yeah. type Nope, yeah, I, make, I don't know what that notebook. is, but you're like, oh, if anybody want to have a conversation with, I'll, I'll get them a favorite snack and coffee. I'm like, bet. I'm going to look this up. I'll, I'll talk to you about it. I'm saying, it's, send it's me my good. coffee, bro. It's all good, man. Thank you. Yo, so you're actually my friend in real life, so I don't have to give you no uh, little pardon for a while. I can just call you tomorrow and we can just chop it up. So let me say this to you, though, right now, man. I'm, I want to say this to you, Ray. I know what that, that dissertation process is. I know what it does to people. I know how hard it is. And like you said, your dissertation has soul. Finish that thing, knock that thing out. You have something to offer. And I need you moving forward. I need you to lean into that. I need you to lean in that place where you come from. And I need you to lean and you've grown and, and, and continue with that growth. But that voice is so important. After we did our show at BMEC, I think I think you saw Sharif. There's a lot of people that came up to me and was like, man, you I felt seen. And I'm saying this to everybody out there. You got somebody in your classroom, in your school, in your community that came from something else, made a lot of mistakes, seen the inside of a jail, been in gunfights, been in whatever the worst thing they say about our people, but that are trying and they might not say the right thing all the time. They might react a certain type of way. But if they have made a conscious effort and decision to try to put something back in that community. I promise you it's not easy for them. I promise you when I talk about that black achievement trauma tax or when I talk about crack baby residue, those are very, very real things. And Raymond, you have a finger on that in a different type of way. And I know you do too, Sharif, and you and I have talked about this, but I haven't talked about this with Ray. I'm expecting you to live in that work and to make it be more than just a report on a piece of paper. I'm expecting you to be everything that those young boys that want to get in that frat so they can be a superintendent of a school system where they actually educating our people. Fuck all the dumb shit, all the other things, all the distractions, my own advice that I need to take my, myself better. But I see that type of potential in you and I need you to see it in yourself because all the stuff I just gave Chris and Reef props for, I think you can go there even in a different direction and touch a group of people that don't feel seen and don't feel heard. My dad needed a Raymond Ankrum. My father, my predicate felon father, who was in and out and all that stuff and trying to get himself straight, needs to see people that used to pitch and are now doing this. So, like I said, man, I'm here for each and every one of y'all. Um, I will always be here. And, uh, you know, you catch me in Paris or somewhere, man, but I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to go into my cave. I like being alone. Uh, and I'm going to do the work that I need to do. I'm going to do my best. I'm either going to hit it over the fence or I'm going to strike out and tear something on that strike three. So with that being <laughs> said, man, my final time signing off uh, from eight black hands. I love y'all. Chris, miss you. Uh, I will give you a call and uh, I'll let you boys take it from there, man. Hey, yeah, we we'll see you next week. We're going to miss you as well. But yeah, we'll. I mean, as as Ray said, we'll we'll be hitting you up and, you know, on the calls and texts and and um, you know, I'm 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 excited for you. Um, I, I know you're, you know, I was constantly questioning, like, why are you pulling back from this? Why are you leaving the hospital board? Why are you, mm -hmm. you know? But uh, also, like, you know, understanding, you know, um, you know, understanding, you know, like what your, what your mission is. So you know that that part of the mission that you're gonna uh, be fulfilling. And 
it's gonna be some strikes, but it's gonna be way more uh, grand slam. So I'm with it, man. I'm, I'm gonna do my best with it, man, and I'll reach out if I need help. But I appreciate y'all. Reach out anyway, even if you don't need. Hey, help. I got you, man. I never had brothers, so I appreciate you, man. I appreciate all three of you. So I wanted y'all to know that, and I wanted our people to know that. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Love you too. All right, man. And, uh, we'll be in touch. Well, I will sign us off one last time. Then uh, Chris is not here, but that's Ray. That's Sharif. I am Charles, and you will see these guys next week. Same bad time, same bad station. This is the Eight Black Hands, where we are fighting for those eight million black children that deserve the best, regardless of what other people get. And if you ain't providing it, and if you ain't getting it, you can catch these hands. Peace and God bless. <laughs>